This episode is brought to you by the Arvada Center because they're kicking off their summer concert series in June. Relax under the stars at the Arvada Center's outdoor amphitheater and take in acts like Melissa Etheridge, Big Richard, Tower of Power, Preservation Hall Jazz Band, The Spin Doctors, and so much more. Concerts are scheduled for June through September. You can find a whole schedule of events and get your tickets today at arvadacenter.org. That's arvadacenter.org. Today on CityCast Denver, Coloradans everywhere were shocked last November when our state's most infamous member of Congress found herself in an election that was too close to call. Lauren Boebert ultimately held on to retain her District 3 seat, but Democrats took notice. She was vulnerable. So today we go inside the state Democratic Party with its new chair, Shad Murab, to talk about why the 546 Project, his big, brand new, multi-year organizing effort, is about more than just canceling the Boebert show. Today is Wednesday, June 21st. I'm Paul Caroli, in for Bree Davies, and here's what Denver's talking about. Chad Murab, welcome to CityCast Denver. Thank you so much for having me, Paul. So you got a problem with Lauren Boebert, huh? Yeah, I'm uh, from out west, and so I have a political problem with her in that she is uh, a pretty ineffective member of Congress. Uh, and as the chair of the Democratic Party, I'm looking forward to replacing her. But as a Western Coloradan, I'm embarrassed uh, at the way she represents our region, and we're ready for a change. So she's not the only representative we have in Congress that's a Republican. There's also Doug Lamborn, Ken Buck. Why her and not those two other guys? Why why not put together a big statewide campaign against them? Well, in 2022, we came within 546 votes of defeating Lauren Boebert, which no one thought was possible. And so we want to capitalize on that energy to make sure that not only do we defeat her in 2024, but like you mentioned, we're also laying the groundwork to take on folks like Ken Buck and Doug Lamborn. So she's just first and she's just first because she's the most vulnerable, you're saying? She's definitely the most vulnerable. She is also perhaps uh, one of the more divisive and ineffective members of Congress. And so she spends more time promoting herself on social media than she does fighting to protect Western water. She claims to have a long list of accomplishments, but you ask any of her constituents and they have no idea what she's talking about. She simply is just more interested in seeking fame and fortune from this role rather than actually doing the hard work of making sure that her constituents have what they need to be uh, successful in their own daily lives. And so while I have my severe disagreements with Ken Buck and Doug Lamborn and would argue that they're uh, similar, they seem a little bit more willing to uh, put politics aside uh, when it comes to important votes. For example, Doug Lamborn voted to avert catastrophic cuts to Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security. Uh, Lauren Boebert did not. Uh, in fact, she just chose not to even vote. She didn't even show up to say no. So that perception that she's only in this for fame and fortune, as you say, do you think that's really pervasive in this whole big diverse district or do people have other issues with her too? You know, I think people are tired of politicians who talk a big game, but don't have anything to back it up. I think we are still recovering from the pandemic. Um, people still see staggering income inequality in their daily lives 
and they've seen the cost of everything go up while their wages have stayed flat. And right now, uh, the interest in just saying no and basically pushing against any sort of progress and instead spending her time villainizing kids. Uh, you know, she focuses so much time on LGBTQ kids. Uh, she makes fun of them online during Pride Month. You know, I think it's clear that she's more interested in causing chaos and controversy than actually fighting for people's ability to afford the high cost of living these days. I mean, chaos is one word. Another word might be a good story. She's so easy and fun to pay attention to. I mean, the hits, the the Let's Go Brandon dress. There was this recent video for sprinting to miss a vote. I mean, so many high profile antics. Which of these things do you hear about from real voters? Like, are people like actually talking to you about this and frustrated by this stuff? Yeah, frankly, they're just tired of it. It's not the most sexy thing in the world. You know, they're not upset at some bill she introduced. They're not upset at some vote she took. They're mad that she's not even showing up for the job. She's not even backing up her chaos with the votes needed to make it happen. I mean, sprinting up the stairs, uh, missing a vote, and then repeatedly lying about the reasons she missed the vote, claiming it was on purpose. But, you know, you watch the video of her sprinting up the stairs, it's clear that it was not on purpose. No excuses. I was ticked off. They wouldn't let me do my job. So I didn't take the vote. Once again, Washington's power machine shoved a multi-trillion dollar bill down our throats. And instead, they served us up a crap sandwich. Uh, I think people are just tired of the sideshow, the clown car kind of element of uh, the Republican Party these days, especially the, the far right MAGA extremists that seem to have taken over the party. But aren't you kind of banking on that clown show element, too, a little bit? Like, I bet this new effort to unseat her has been a big fundraiser for you all. Are, are you getting more attention the more ridiculous she behaves? Yeah. You know, it's interesting, the energy that's out there. We just did a five-day tour to launch the 546 Project. And during this tour, uh, you know, at grassroots events where I should have been lucky to get three or four folks in a place like Cortez, we were getting over 25. You know, we were able to host uh, important fundraisers with Democrats, unaffiliated, and Republicans who are interested in supporting our effort to unseat her. And um, frankly, you know, as as good as she is for fundraising or exciting energy, uh, you know, the division and hatred that she pushes is so damaging that it's a shame that we, you know, have to consider the positives of her being in Congress for our democratic infrastructure. But she's certainly awakened, you know, this sort of movement out west and in southern Colorado to get someone who actually represents their values, which we're thrilled for. After we scheduled this interview with Shad Murab of the Colorado Democratic Party, I reached out to Lauren Boebert's office for her take on the Democrats' plans to unseat her. Her office responded, quote, There is no doubt Democrats will give their all to steal this seat. History will prove once again that our district does not want a tax-hiking, Green New Deal, far-left, extreme Aspen Democrat to represent them. I think she's talking about Adam Frisch, who ran against her and is running again already. But she goes on, quote, I'm proving to be an extremely effective legislator in the new Congress, having passed two bipartisan bills and 10 of 10 amendments through the House, nine of which had strong bipartisan support. I will win in 2024 for the same reason I've won every race I've been in. My policies are right for our district, our state and our country. This episode is brought to you by Pine Melon, the farmer's market delivered. 
Pine Melon is a next-generation grocery delivery app that partners with over 200 farmers, ranchers, and producers in Colorado to help make fresh, locally sourced foods available to the Denver community at fair prices. Get high-quality meats, eggs, and dairy from small local farms, fresh-baked breads from local bakeries, and more, as well as all of your favorite pantry staples. Best part is, Pine Melon offers same-day delivery to Denver and soon Boulder within a two-hour window, no subscription necessary. Save time in your busy schedule and get fresh and healthy groceries delivered right to your door. Join the movement and support local today. Use promo code CityCastDenver for $75 off your first delivery at PineMelon.com. That's PineMelon.com. So I checked Bobert's Twitter feed as I was preparing for this conversation, and I saw that um, she wrote last week that, quote, the radical left is determined to remove me from Congress. And she posted a link to her fundraising page. Is she talking about you when she's writing that? I think so. She, uh, you know, the first rule of politics is often to to only respond on your own terms, right? Uh, to only say something on your own terms. And she broke that rule because I think she's scared of the 546 Project. She said that the 546 Project is the Colorado Democratic Party's attempt to steal the election. And what they call stealing an election, we simply call grassroots organizing. It's what folks have been doing for decades in this country, knocking on doors, talking to voters, sharing a vision for the future that everyone can get behind. And so I think she's scared. Um Dave Williams, my cohort in the Colorado Republican Party, said this is our attempt to bring the woke transgender agenda to rural Colorado, which, um, you know, continues their efforts to demonize and villainize our kids and our community members and pit people against each other, which just isn't how we do things in Western and Southern Colorado. It just simply isn't. I'm just curious about the, the strategy of this kind of like big campaign that you've embarked on to unseat her alone. Like we've just talked about, she's fundraising off of this. Are you at all worried that giving her all this extra attention is just fueling the fire, giving her, you know, new narratives to bounce off of? No, I think she's going to get that attention anyway. And I think what we've seen lacking in recent years has been a significant and dedicated permanent establishment of democratic infrastructure in rural areas. And so uh, while we're giving her a lot of attention in terms of launching this campaign and focusing on her being the primary target to defeat in this district, uh, along with her allies, we also know that it is time for the Democratic Party to take its success from the front range and expand it outwards. And the proof is in folks like Barbara McLaughlin or Dylan Roberts or Speaker Julie McCluskey or Megan Lukens. Uh, these folks win tight races all the time, and they've only increased their vote share in rural areas because when Democrats compete, we win because we actually have a vision for the future that matches the concerns of their communities. And so to let her uh, kind of swim in her own muck and go unnoticed is going to be impossible because like you mentioned, she's so explosive and, uh, you know, easy to get on the press because of how insane she is. And so we need a dedicated infrastructure to not only respond, but capitalize on making sure folks know how terrible she is for this district. So we got to talk about Adam Frisch, who's the Democrat that ran against Boebert back in November. He got within 546 votes, as we've discussed. Um, he said he's already running again, and this is 17 months out. You're running this parallel campaign to unseat Bobert. What do you think about Adam Frisch? Is he the guy? I like Adam Frisch a lot. I think he ran a really great campaign in 2022. I think he's running a good campaign now. We also have a primary in this race. And so there's a lot of Democratic energy. Uh, there's a woman in Gunnison named Debbie Burnett, who's also running. And it sounds like there might be a couple other people who jump into the mix too. 
Uh, I'm thrilled that, um, and you asked about Adam, he's very excited about the project. You know, I want to make sure that these folks running know that the Colorado Democratic Party is not only on the ground now organizing for our eventual nominee, but that we're going to be there in the long term. And so I think um, my hope is that by the Democratic Party being more active and thoughtful in our rural areas, it shows folks who might otherwise feel like they shouldn't run that they've got a team member out here and that they've got folks who are on the ground who are ready to help and who are doing the hard work of organizing to lay the foundation. And so there's a huge amount of opportunity for us to be on the ground and competing, and it's the only way we can win. Bobert obviously has a national profile. I wonder how you see this race in that context. Like, are you expecting her to get a lot of support from the national Republicans or, I don't know, is the National Democratic Party supporting you in new ways? I'm just curious about this race in that bigger context. Yeah, I have no doubt that the Republican Party is going to try to defend her. I think she's also a liability for them and that she is so explosive and embarrassing that I don't know how much they're going to want to tie their brand to her. If Donald Trump is the nominee, I'm sure Trump and Boebert will be running as two peas in a pod and Colorado already rejected Donald Trump and we very nearly rejected Lauren Boebert. I don't think that is changing uh, in this state's dynamic. So good luck to them on that. But in terms of the National Democrats playing, we're thrilled to have the support of the kind of national democratic apparatus and starting to expand into rural Colorado. But what's important to me, especially as a rancher and as someone who lives in this area, is uh, we don't need the typical kind of D.C. campaign mindset in this area. It just simply doesn't work. And so something that I've shared with them is uh, that I want to build a close working relationship with everyone at the DNC and the DCCC to make sure that we're not running campaigns that feel inauthentic. You know, we actually have a pretty unique way of running campaigns in Colorado. And the more national influence that comes in can sometimes be more harmful than not. Like how? What's what's a difference? It sounds like you're you're talking about specific instances where this has happened, where the national party has come in and done things the way, you know, that, that you wouldn't think would work. Yeah. For example, um, I'm a fierce advocate for our gun safety laws and making sure that dangerous convicted criminals or domestic violence abusers and other folks who might uh, wish to do harm to themselves or others don't have access to weapons. As a rancher, I'm also a gun owner and I know that my gun is a tool. You know, if a horse breaks a leg, if a cow uh, gets sick, you know, there's all sorts of awful situations where you might be compelled to have to use a gun on a ranch. There is no reason that anybody should be walking down the street with a weapon of war. And those are the types of conversations we need to be having about these issues in rural areas is that sometimes there are appropriate times to have a weapon on you and other times uh, you know, we want to make sure dangerous criminals don't have access to them. Another big one is uh, when we're talking about climate change, I think rightfully folks focus on the disproportionate impact climate change has on uh, low income communities, on uh, communities of color, especially. And those things are true in Western and Southern Colorado and on the Front Range. However, drought is sort of the prevailing uh you know, way that we experience climate change in rural areas. And so really focusing our conversation on climate change around drought helps us speak to different communities in a way that is more relevant to their everyday lives in a real kind of uh, nitty gritty way. And so when we're talking about climate change, I want to talk about drought. When we're talking about gun ownership, I want to talk about, you know, the safe gun owners who use them as tools in their jobs and not as totems in their daily lives. So that's the way that I view these issues. And I think that's the way a lot of people experience politics and, you know, issues in their everyday life. And if we try to nationalize the conversation too much and not uh, talk about the way that folks actually experience these issues, we're missing a huge opportunity to, to relate and share a vision with rural voters in a way that's meaningful.
This is a 17-month campaign that you've just embarked on to unseat Boebert. Let's say you wake up the day after election day and she wins. Mm -hmm. What do you think that would say about the state of our state? Well, she was drawn into a relatively safe seat. So that's the expectation that folks have. But if we don't compete, we'll never know. And so if she does win, I think we take Wednesday, we dust ourselves off and we get back up and we go again. And so if this project and our campaign to unseat Boebert succeeds in energizing and activating a new generation of volunteers and organizers, uh, many of whom are Latino or young women, especially in this district, you know, I think that that will be a success. And so if we view this purely in terms of uh, election cycles, I'm a big fan of putting points on the board, but I also know that our success is in this long-term power building. And uh, that's how we truly change rural Colorado for the better. Chad Mirab, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Paul. And here's what else Denverites are talking about. The fitting rooms at thrift stores. According to Westward, Goodwill is permanently closing the fitting rooms in all 42 of their retail thrift stores across Colorado. A spokesperson for the nonprofit said that they hated the idea of creating an inconvenience for shoppers, but the quote, theft and the vandalism that occurs in the fitting rooms also takes a big financial toll on the organization. And finally, it looks like the return of police to Denver schools will be permanent. After a shooting at East High in March, the Denver Public Schools Board voted to temporarily bring back school resource officers, or SROs, into DPS high schools. Now, after months of debate, they voted last week to keep a, quote, persistent presence of SROs in schools. This comes almost three years after Board Vice President Aonte Anderson led the charge to remove SROs over concerns about racial profiling and the school-to-prison pipeline. Superintendent Alex Marrero now has until June 30th to finalize his plan for how exactly SROs will return and what their role will be. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell your cousin in Grand Junction about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Denver, by texting Denver to 66866. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See you then. Yeah.